Welcome to the British American Football Coaches Association podcast, a resource designed to support both British football coaches and coaches from around the world. This podcast features special guests discussing techniques, scheme, philosophies and culture for the sport of American football to help develop and grow the game worldwide. Now here's your host, Adam Lillis. Hello and welcome to the BAFCA Coaching Podcast. A quick reminder to check back on the recent clinic and roundtable talks that BAFCA has hosted in recent months and keep checking the BAFCA social media pages for updates on the BAFCA convention in July. Today's topic is O-line play in the inside zone, so let's get straight into it with Coach Siyoshi. Hello and welcome to the BAFCA Coaching Podcast with me, your host Adam Lillis. I'm delighted to be joined today by the Offensive Line and Run Game Coordinator of the Bryant University Bulldogs, Coach Stephen Siyoshi. Coach, how are you doing today? Doing awesome, Coach. Appreciate you having me on here. I appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. Um, We're going to be talking a bit about O-line today and inside zone and developing offensive linemen. Um, Before we get into that, why don't you give us a bit of background about your playing and coaching career up to your current date at Bryant University? Yep. So I I was born in North Carolina. I lived there for a little bit, moved all around as a kid. Uh, Played my high school ball in Pennsylvania Uh, from there. I played my college football at Wagner College, uh, which is a Division One AA school uh, in New York City, uh, in the same conference as where I'm at right now, Bryant. So we're actually rivals. So it's a, a little awkward coaching as my alma mater. Played there for four years, um, all across the O-line from center to guard to both tackles. Um, when I got done playing, I immediately got into coaching as a graduate assistant. Uh, so I was the assistant offensive line coach. Um, for a year. After that, I was the tackles and tight ends coach for a year at Wagner, won the league, uh, left to go be full-time uh, as the offensive line coach then in 2015 at Pace University, a uh, Division II school in uh, New York as well, right outside the city. I uh, was there for one year, uh, left to go back to my alma mater, Wagner College, uh, as the defensive line coach, uh, special teams coordinator, and recruiting coordinator. Um, so flipped to the other side of the ball, completely different, you know, coordinating the special team. Did that for two years. I loved it. Uh, making good money, was living, you know, right where my own mother was at near my family. And then uh, knew I wanted to get back to the offensive side of the ball. So I made the decision to, to leave and go be a graduate assistant again at Florida International University, uh, FIU, down in Miami which is in the higher, highest level of uh, FBS football. You know, so there, I was there for one year, uh, got to GA there. I was the assistant O-line coach under an incredible staff. Coach Davis was the head coach. Uh, coach Skrowski, our OC, Coach Mogridge, our O-line coach. Learned more football in one year there than I ever thought possible. Made almost no money. <laughs> Living in one of the most expensive cities in the world. So I uh, was able to, to make it work with uh, people in my life who I love that helped me out with that and with friends. And then from there, we had a lot of success, set the school record for wins, uh, won our bowl game, the Bahamas Bowl, and then uh, got hired at Bryant University as the O-line coach run game coordinator uh, January 2019. So I've uh, been here now a little over a year, going on a year and a half. This will be my second season coming up at Bryant. So. Fantastic. And obviously you've made 
a number of stops there, worked with a number of different coaching staffs. Um, what are some of the influences that you've had over the years from other coaches? Um, and what were some of the key lessons that you learned from those coaches? Yeah, so with with my coaching style and all that, I would say it, it definitely started with my old line coach in college, uh, Jason Hotelling, uh, Coach Haas. Uh, he um, coached me for four years. I coached under him for another four, my four years at Wagner. He taught me, he was the guy that, that truly taught me how hard it is to play O-line, how much I had to work at it, you know, level of technique and detail. Um, and then from a coaching side of it, he was the one that taught me how hard you had to work as a GA, as an assistant coach, to how much you had to really study and learn from other people. He's now the O-line coach at Colgate University in New York. Um, true, true father figure and mentor of mine. From there, um, the I kind of what I kind of tell guys is every coach that you work with leaves an imprint on you, and every coach you meet. And so, my biggest uh, impact people was definitely Coach Skrowski, the offense coordinator at FIU, um, and Alan Mogridge, uh, the offensive line coach at FIU at the time. He's now the O line coach at the University of South Florida. Um, those two took what Coach Haas had taught me, and then they completely flipped and taught me a different way of looking at the game um, in terms of how to recruit, how to study opponents, um, how to develop your own guys in the offseason. Um, so they were the biggest. And then from there, um, Coach John Strollo, who's been a longtime offensive line coach over here, uh, has really become a mentor of mine. Um, was introduced to him by Coach Skrowski. You know, he's he is he was at Lewisburg, he was at Ball State, he was at Penn State. Um, he's been all over. You know, he's he's uh, retired right now. Uh, he was the one that taught me everything I learned at FIU and really taught me how to explain it myself in my own way. Um, and the guy that I talk to every month. And then from there, I always tell guys, you know, one of the big things as a coach is go out and meet other people. So I've been very lucky. Like I, I like to travel. Uh, I like to go and talk. So, you know, guys that I haven't worked with, uh, Eddie Morrissey, the O-line coach at Austin Peay University down in Tennessee, uh, Roy Isman, uh, the assistant O-line coach of the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, Chris Wizan is the tight ends coach at uh, Georgia Tech, and Ed Argas, um, who is up at Bates College now, the O-line coach of the city. These are all guys that I never coached with. But just by doing camps, by traveling, visiting schools, these guys all left an imprint and taught me something different about O-line play that really influenced me. So I tell guys, it's not all about who you work with, you know, necessarily. Some guys will always ask me, like, you know, when you learn, how much do you learn from the guys you work with? I said, a ton, but you can learn so much from other people by visiting, hitting them up on Twitter, calling them. Absolutely. And just to make that relevant to us over in the UK, one of the things that BAFCA try and promote is, especially where coaches are very much rooted to the town or the city that they live in, going to conventions and just meeting other coaches, uh, sharing ideas is such a, such a way to go. And you don't have to fly over to America or talk to American mm -hmm. coaches to learn. Um, so, yeah, that's absolutely perfect. Um, one thing you mentioned about your coaching journey was you spent two years as a defensive line coach and special teams coordinator how much how important was it for you to coach on the defensive side of the ball to help you then go back and coach offensive line again that was the the best decision I ever made and at the time I was really torn doing it I didn't 
I didn't want to do it. <laughs> um, I love coaching O-line, and I, I really had no interest in coordinating special teams and, uh, you know, coaching D-line. But what I learned was two main things. That's all, everyone. I think the best thing you can do as a young coach or a coach at any point in your career is flip the other side of the ball. It allows you to see the game in a completely different way, uh, the way that defenses talk, uh, the way that they ID offensive formations, um, the way that, that they see coverages. That was probably the biggest benefit for me as an O-line coach prior to doing that. I never really taught coverages. I taught boxes and numbers in the box and run and pass game. Now with my guys, I teach coverage. I teach safety fits. I teach, you know, why the defense moves their shell to to attack us in different ways. And it's helped me so much and be a much better line coach. And then the special teams, the best thing about coaching special teams was I, I, I learned how to coach guys in other positions um, that I never thought I, I would deal with. You know, I had my hands with the, the defensive backs in pre-practice, you know, the wide receivers, the running backs, you know, guys that I never really dealt with and never really interacted with other than, you know, ask them how they were and everything like that. I had to coach those guys. I had to teach them techniques. I had to get – now, instead of a room of 20 guys, I had a room of 90, you know, 80 to 100 guys that I had to coach and, you know, get them to buy into the schemes and everything. That opened my eyes so much and taught me so much more than just staying with the O-line on the offensive side of the ball. Sure. So, it sounds like you'd recommend to, to coaches over here, especially young coaches that may have only played one position their entire life and they're moving into coaching – to sort of expand your horizons a bit and start trying to coach other areas of the field just to try and learn a bit more football. Definitely, uh, 100%. Excellent. So, um, and just before, we're going to talk about inside zone next, but just before we get into that, just to really wrap up the talk about coaching defensive line, how did it practically change your approach to coaching offensive line? Um, you talked about, you know, coverages and, defensive front and things like that but were you do you bring in the fact that your knowledge of how defensive linemen attack and how they plug gaps and what techniques they're using are you using that to then inform your offensive linemen or is actually how you coach offensive linemen on a day-to-day basis still relatively the same I know I definitely do so before I used to coach O-line I would tell them what we did and why we're doing it to defeat D linemen, you know, are we're going to run power. So here's how we're going to block power. Here's how we're going to do our double teams. We're going to block zone. Here's how we're going to, you know, work our combos, our pace and all that. After coaching D line and coming back to offense side of the ball, I added the how, like, okay, well, this is how we're going to do it. And on the other side of it, I added the, I told my line, this is how they're going to try to defeat what you're doing. you know, they're using this technique because of this. Like they're, you know, when an old lineman would ask me before, probably the easiest way to describe would be if uh, if I taught my guy to drive block somebody and he got beat, I would tell him, okay, maybe your footwork was too long, your steps weren't quick enough, your hand strike wasn't good. Now I look at it as, okay, I'll say all those things, but I'll also say to my guy, here's what he was doing to you and why he was able to get away with it, you know. He was striking, tearing you because you were leaning into the block. He felt that your pressure was on him. He pushed, pulled you and ripped away. You know, he's using your momentum against you. So it made me a better teacher by far. Um, yeah, it's it's all levels. You know, first level D-line, second level linebacker, third level, you know, the secondary. Um, 
just being able to talk to the offensive guys. And the same thing is not even just staying on the O-line, but, like, once you do that where you go over on the other side of the ball, you come back. Like, when we're teaching screens, I can talk to our receivers and be like, hey, this is what he's going to do and why he's doing it. It's this coverage. We're running this play. He's going to play this technique because of it. And it just makes it makes the picture clear for your guys and just it brought it broadened my horizon so much as a coach. Mm-hmm. Excellent. So let's get into it. Um, if we're, if maybe a young coordinator's listing or even a, an experienced coordinator is trying to rewrite the playbook and just thinking about like what run game am I going to start building? What run packages and concepts am I going to install? Why should they be considering inside zone as their, their, key running game yep um for us and for me and for anyone i believe if if run game is going to be important for what you do and it has to be because there's you know three phases you know of offense that you know guys have talked about the two most important is the run and the pass game the i think you need to have a physical downhill run game and with with inside zone i believe it allows you to attack the defense vertically downhill but it also allows you to not allow the defense to stretch you out and what I mean by that is most defenses over here in America they want to they want to send everything to the sideline the sideline is their ally you know they want to spill stuff they want to get you running laterally the more time you spend running laterally in the backfield you know rather than downhill it allows them to get numbers to the ball and so to me, with inside zone, it is something that you can teach from day one. It is something that your O-line, your quarterback, your your running backs can all be on the same page with. It's a very easy install in terms of ID and all that that we'll, we'll talk about. Um, I think it forces safeties to have to play the box. And it eliminates TFLs if you teach it right with good pace and cover. And the other thing is it's an attitude play. Um, you know, it, it's it's awesome for short yards. It's awesome if you're up-tempo. And it's your guys up front versus their guys. So to me, like, that mentality is, you know, we're going to move those guys. We're going to cover those guys up. We're going to move them. And we're going to pound out yards. So I think when you talk about installing a run game, you have to have – one base run that is going to be your attitude play no matter what you run and in your offense and for us that's inside zone actually you talked about um it being a day one run game so let's let's start with the absolute basis of inside zone for those that maybe uh, a bit more gap orientated and want to learn a bit more about inside zone what are some of the the day one fundamental um coaching points of installing inside zone Yep. So the first thing that we talked about, Coach, is um, immediately for us is when we get the play call. So if we have Jeep Cole, which is our inside zone to the left, first thing we're going to do is as we line up, we're going to talk about front ID, you know. So with us, that means how many down? Is it a three down defense? Is it a four down defense? Is it a five down defense? How many down linemen are there? From there, we're going to talk about our box ID now. Point linebacker. So the first linebacker plays side that we are going to be working to on the play. 
And then from there, you can talk about your combos and all that. We do that. We build it from the front back in our offense, meaning that it starts the O-line talking about how many D linemen there are, who we're going to on the play. From there, it progresses to the quarterback now understanding if there's a read component attached to it uh, for reading the MN last scrimmage. Now it goes to the running back understanding where he's aiming the ball. Um, you know, the other thing that we talk about day one is the pace at which we're going to play up front. You know, we're not going to be fast. Um, we're going to protect our play side gap with the zone. Um, that, above all else, is what you're most responsible for. And if there's nothing inside your, in your play side gap, now we're going to talk about the combos and combo calls that we have up front to go up to who we're going to. Sure. Um, in, in terms of communication, when we're live and in the play and we've got the defense in front of us, where does the communication responsibility lie? Does it lie with the, the center? Does it lie with the other lineman? Does it lie with the quarterback? Or have, has it been different at different places you've coached? It's been different at different places. Um, I, think, I think it really comes down to who do you trust? Um, some guys will argue that it has to be the O-line. Uh, some guys will argue, you know, your quarterback should always be making the calls. My belief is I would prefer the O-line do it. So for us, like if we get inside zone to the left, our center is going. We're going to line up. Our center is going to be the one to make a three down, four down. So if it's a four down look, he'll he'll identify. I put four fingers up in the air. He'll say hey, four down, four down, four down. He'll look play side, see the second level linebacker, and say point that linebacker number twenty, whatever it is. Now he sets all the 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 calls for the O line. And for us, we don't do a lot of combo calls. So really, he's just setting where we're going. Um, and we kind of just – we operate in the full zone mentality. From there, now the quarterback, once that is all talked about and predetermined, now he identifies his read. So the O-line handles the box and the blocking and where we're going. The quarterback's responsibility is the read or RPO attached to it. Um, and I, like I said, I think it if you've got a center that can handle it and he's a guy that you trust, I love it because all the communication is coming from him up front. Um, you have five guys all going in the same direction that are on the same page. And it takes, it takes the ease of mind off the quarterback having to worry about who they're blocking. He knows he's protected. The running back knows he's protected. Now the quarterback's worried about his second reads and all that. Sure. And you talked about combination calls and combination blocks. Could you talk us through some of those examples sure. that you would uh, install? So I'll talk about two things. Because we've changed a little. What I used to do was once you identified the point linebacker on the play, you also would identify the minus linebacker. So there would be a front side combo on the zone and a backside combo on the zone. That's very traditional. That's what most people do. Um, that is all based on covered, uncovered rules. So if I have a man in my play side gap, I'm blocking that guy. If I don't have a man in my play side gap, but there's a guy behind me, I'm not covered up. I'm uncovered, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to combo with the man behind me in the zone up to that backer. Um, so, like, rules for us, like, simple stuff for us would be, like, a, a center and guard block uh, with a defender in the A gap, a shade, uh, would be a, a cog, center and guard. Like, we're, we're going to cog to that point linebacker. Backside. 
guard and tackle with a three technique on the backside of the zone up to the minus linebacker. You know, for us, that would be a slip. We're going to slip. The tackle is going to overtake that block. The guard's going to climb. That's how most people teach it. Kind of going back to my time at FIU and what I, what I learned down there and what I teach here at Bryant, we operate completely in the full zone mentality. So for us, we identify the box. We identify the linebackers that we're going to. But we're blocking first level guys. So you're either we operate in colors. So you're either green, yellow, or red. And meaning that I'm either man in my gap, I'm blocking. Man behind me, I'm gonna help the guy behind me and we'll combo up to the second level defender. We're red, there's no one in either gap. I'm just gonna be patient. So and it's just a full zone mentality. Um where really we're just protecting our play side gap. You know, your play side gap is everything in zone you have to protect your gap sure and one of the questions i have personally is if you are asking your offensive lineman to help out backside if you've got if you uncovered play side that to me seems like an easier block if he's shading you backside but if he's shading your teammate backside are you expecting them to to heavily go back and help out before going to second level i mean how does does the, right. does the technique shade affect yep. how far people block? For, for us, we do. So we, we, would, we would hang on a little bit longer on the first level um, to protect that. So, like, if, I, if I'm the backside guard, it's zone left, and I'm the right guard, and there's a defender aligned four-eye, we would say, on the inside of the tackle, we would still be slow. Our eyes would still be in our play side gap, but we would we would we would call a drag hand, high knee. We would hold our knee in our hand backside and just scoot off the ball. But we would wait to see if that tackle needed help before leaving. And the whole mentality behind that for us is we're trying to eliminate TFLs. We want to run the ball on second level defenders. Um, earlier in my co- coaching uh, career, and a lot of other people I've learned from, they would tell you. If he's not on you backside, leave now and go to the second level. And I don't think I don't think either one's wrong, or you know I think both are right. Neither one's wrong. It, it all depends on your your style of teaching and the athleticism of your guys. Sure. And how do you coach your players to pick up things like stunts and sort of late blitzes where defenders are switching gaps? Yep. So we talk about. Uh, day one with my guys is feet, eyes, hands. And what I mean by that is in zone blocking, everything starts with your feet going in the right direction, your eyes being in your play side gap, and your hands being the last thing that you use. You know, the big mistake, it's very easy to block a guy if he's playing just in my gap the entire game. And he's not moving, he's not stunning, there's no change of picture. Um, so when that happens, you'll see guys get away with stuff. You know, they're punching the guy before their feet get there. They're, they're striking the guy, their feet are there, but their eyes are kind of looking in the wrong area. You have to have incredible eye discipline to be very good up front. So we will actively coach our steps. As we work our zone steps, because, we're again, we're slow off the ball. Like, we're, we're, we're almost – it almost looks like walking when you watch it. Uh, we call it scooting. Um, you'll see us immediately start moving our feet. The heads are always snapping into the gap that we're blocking. The hands are in front of us. Um, 
that is the last point of contact we talk about. Your feet get you to the block, your eyes are seeing what you need to block, and your hands are delivering the blow. And um, to handle pressure and all that, it all starts about putting yourself in the right position. You know, if they're blitzing and moving, okay, are my feet taking me to where I need to go, my place I get? Yes. Are my eyes seeing what they're doing? Okay, I've seen what they're doing. Now I'm ready to attack with my hands. And it's just something that we rep over and over and over. We do it in pre-practice. Guys do it all off-season. Even home right now, since I don't have them with me, these guys are doing it every day. They're out in their backyard. And it's just something simple. You can you can rep this on air over and over and over. Sure. And I'd like to get into some of the skills you're asking of your linemen and maybe some example everyday drills that you have. But before that, I'd be interested to know whether, in your opinion, you need a specific type of lineman to run inside zone or whether inside zone could be run with all shapes and sizes that you have available to you? I think if you that's a great question coach you know because it's probably the age-old argument of O-line coaches we were I love inside zone because I, I believe it, I believe it's best if you are big and thick you know that's what we all want um it's it's best if you're you can get away with having tackles that are a little lighter and more athletic because they're not at the point of contact. Um, your guards to me have to be pretty thick and big. They have to be able to cover people up. Your center has to be a pr- decent athlete, but nothing too crazy like outside zone because he just really has to be able to hold a block for a little bit and he should have help. Um, but to answer your question, bigger is better. Um, Longer, not necessarily as much because the nature of the play is it's down, downhill inside. Um, but it is something that I think you can do with smaller guys. Like for us year one at Bryant, we were very small for a Division One AA offensive line. You know, our guards, our one guard was 5'10", 260. My center was 5'10", 270, which at our level is very small. Um, it's all about how you teach your landmarks and – the pace at which you play. If you're going fast, you're going to have trouble. If you're going slow, you're going to give your guys an opportunity. Um, but bigger is always better. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, that, that's the ideal, but coaches shouldn't be put off um, if they perhaps got slower guys or nope. maybe more powerful guys but can't move their feet as well. They shouldn't be put off by installing no. inside zone. I think if uh, if you got shorter guys that, that are powerful, aren't as big but play with great leverage, um, and pad level, I, I think you, and like I said, I think inside zones mentality. I think if you rep it over and over and over, it doesn't matter what you have, you know, you're going to be able to block what's in your gap. And so to me, like, I, I think guys can run it. So let's get into sort of, uh, practice time. And so what are some of the skills that you want your offensive line to have or to accumulate to, in order to do inside zone effectively? And what are some of the everyday drills that you, used to develop that? Yep. So, you know, the first thing that we do, and it starts in the off season, um, and then it goes all the way in, you know, throughout the year, it's nonstop. You know, we, we will call it pre-practice. So our guys will get out there about 15, about 15 minutes before practice begins um, for the first period. The first thing we'll work on every day is we have uh, track hurdles set up in our indie area. Um, so guys are going to go over the hurdles, opening their hips. They're going to go under the hurdles. They're going to do um, going forward, backwards, sideways, just working bending and hip flexibility stuff. Uh, you know, 
that to me, before we talk any hand fighting, you know, explosion work, all that, um, that right there is the most important thing. You know, how well can we bend in our in our ankles, our knees, and our in our hips? And that's a big thing I know over here in America. A lot of high school linemen don't do a good job of. You know, they they put on a high school reel of them just knocking people to the ground, but you can tell watching their film they're not explosive because they don't bend. Uh, you know, so. That's the first thing we do. Uh, so we'll come out there. We'll work our flexibility work. And it's very low key. Uh, I'll have bands out there for the guys to just work some stuff as well. We'll work our banded pass sets. You know, we'll just attach it to the poles that are out there and guys will work their different sets. Um, from there, we'll get in what we call the grid. So it'll be all the alignment up. We'll have five guys in the line, about three, four lines, depending on the number of guys. And then we'll just work our zone steps. We'll work our steps to our right steps to our left we'll work our skip steps when we're overtaking guys on the back side um from there we'll go into our gap steps we'll work our down block steps our pull steps and yeah this is all during pre-practice and it's very low key it's not full speed it's just getting guys used to playing in their temple and tempo and the biggest thing is you're getting them to bend in their stance um you know just getting them down getting their body activated for practice you know some guys will come and watch it Friends of mine, profession, they're like, well, you're not killing them. I'm like, no, you don't need to. Like, I need them to bend. I need them to be ready to go for practice. From there, um, now we'll start – again, all that right there goes back to, Coach, uh, working our, our feet and our eyes. There's nothing involved with the hand striking yet. So that goes on for 15 minutes. Once we get into practice, we'll add the, the hand component. So now we'll go through and work our zone steps on medicine balls. I like – so we'll work our steps, we'll work our eyes, and then we'll work striking. Uh, I'm a double under punch guy. Um, I don't cock the hands. I know some guys teach it like the like how I was taught in college was the old reach for your pistols, like the old cowboy western movies with your first step and on your second step you're shooting your hands. I believe that takes too much time. We carry our hands in front of us because we're always in a two-point. So we will punch double under, like if I was lifting a table or lifting a rock is how I, I describe it to guys. We're going to sink our hips and we're going to strike rolling our hips up. Um, and then we'll work from there. We'll get on the sleds, you know, do a little bit of sled work. Um, but again, it all comes back to the, the feet, the eyes, the hands. So pre-practice is everything on air. Um, practices striking and moving people um and working our punch that's great and you mentioned a whole range of uh, steps that you work through but if we're just talking about zone steps for inside zone are you looking for anything in particular what are some of the things that you might be picking players up on and do you advocate that steps are a certain distance or do you just let the players do what's comfortable to them right so i was taught um so like our, for example, like in college, we were taught you're going to do a six inch, your first step in zone. So if I'm the right guard and I have a, a guy in my B gap three technique, I'm going to pick up my foot. I'm going to step six inch position step. I'm going to split the crotch um, of the defender. And then my second step, I'm going to, it's going to be 45 degrees. And I'm going to punch my hands. I'm not a, I joke all the time, my players, like the school we're at, our kids graduate, they're going to make six figure salaries. I'm not like that. I'm a country kid um, that coaches football. That's a lot of thinking. And so to me, and it's also, it's very different. Like 
if I have a guy, like I have a tackle that's six, six and I have a guard that's six foot, if I'm asking them to step the same distance with the same movements, to me, that's not really realistic. Um, that's why I don't teach you like that. And that's why I don't use shoots either. Cause you're asking everyone to bend at the same, uh, level, which to me is not realistic. Um, we talk about with our steps being in positions of power and being rooted. So what I mean by that is our steps are much more lateral. Um, it is a pickup put down. It's, we never want to get further than what our base. And what I mean by that is if I'm in my stance, if I were to take two steps to the right for zone, right, step, step, I should be back into that same base as I was in when I was already in my stance, because the position you're in with your stance is your power position. Like you're in that position because you're comfortable bending in it. Um, you're able to move out of it. So when you're at the point of contact, you should be back in that same position, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Um, some great information there. Uh, just to kind of scale it back a little bit and talk a bit higher level, maybe a bit more scheme. Yep. Let's say just picking something up a sort of uh, random as an example we're if we're sp spread team 10 personnel 11 personnel we're in the shotgun running backs in the sidecar sort of left or right yeah. and we run inside zone with zone read for the quarterback backside maybe with a tight end attached maybe with a h back in the backfield all those type of things and we run inside zone and we think it's pretty effective we hang our hat on it and that's the that's our base run have you got any advice for how you can develop that further? What are some of the things that you might attach onto that, whether that's RPOs, whether that's complementary plays? Um, yeah. So I'll, uh, I'll kind of tell you exactly how we build it. Uh, so like when we go out of our 10 personnel runs, um, so run back in the backfield, you know, where we're truly reading that guy. We're not bluffing him. The, the end man, the line scrimmage, defensive end. Um, a few key points that we tell – our guys for the running back our landmark is the front side leg of the center some people teach the inside leg of the guard play side there's nothing wrong with doing that um for us we're going to aim for the front side leg of the center we're gonna he's gonna press that point if there's color in that gap he's gonna plant his foot and bend it back towards what we call the wall of the backside guard tackle and that's really backside A to B yet hit. Our running back's job is we want him to deliver these linebackers to us. So he wants to press that point as hard as he can and then last second make a decision. We want those linebackers flowing downhill to our, our combo blocks so that we can collect that. And then for the quarterback, we tell him his eyes are always on the read. He shouldn't be looking at anything in the box. Once that ball snapped, you know, 45 degrees, rotate his platform. His eyes are reading the DN. And I have a few simple rules for that. If there's ever any doubt whether you should pull it or give it, give it. And what I mean by that is the, the dive player will always at least get back to the line of scrimmage. You know, it might be a zero-yard gain, but it's not a negative play. We want to avoid negative plays. So. What we tell them is if the D end is squeezing, shoulders are still square, though, facing um, north, that should be a give because he's trying to be able to play the quarterback plans for him come back outside. Um, the running back should be able to outrun that for a positive play. If his shoulders are turned down to the line of scrimmage, so he's no longer facing square ahead, he's turned and he's chasing the dive player of the ball, 
you want to ride that down as really we tell them you want to ride it down as far as possible into the line of scrimmage and then pull and then you want to replace off the butt of that that dive player uh that dn and we don't want that path to be rounded by the quarterback we want to take that downhill um again we want to be a vertical attacking team in inside zone so we want to take that downhill and replace off the the dive key from an rpo standpoint and then before i get to that um from a coaching standpoint, one thing that I've always found helped us a lot, I coached the backside tackle. When you're going up to that backer, that that backside linebacker, block for the pull, not the dive. And what I mean by that is if you block for the dive, great. You know, you're, you're going to be inside of the linebacker to the play side. But if you block for the pull, that's the touchdown block. Like if you block that back shoulder of the – of the second level linebacker, even if we give the ball, it's still going to be a, a positive play. Like even if that linebacker makes a play as you're blocking him, it's going to be a five, six yard gain. But if that quarterback pulls it and you're in position to seal that linebacker, that's a touchdown block. So that's a big thing that I was taught by coach Haas in college. And it's awesome. Um, and it makes it simpler for us. The RPO off of inside zone pretty much comes down to who do we feel we have a better athletic advantage over? And what I mean by that is, are we better game plan wise reading the defensive end or are we better reading that inside linebacker? If the defensive end's a really disruptive guy and he's good at playing both, we'll lock the tackle on him. We'll read that minus backer and have some type of slant or, or uh, you know, route behind it to take advantage of that, to hold him. Um, that to me is a big game plan thing. And then when you talk about uh, 11 personnel tight end backside, now you start talking about all the different things you can do. You know, if that read player, you can arc your tight end, uh, block for the quarterback pull, now the pass a little wider. Um, if you're reading that linebacker locking the DN, now that tight end is the guy that's replacing that guy in the RPO. Um, but the track and the path of the, the O-line and the running back doesn't change with your RPO with this. That's great. Um, we're just coming to the end now, so we're going to start wrapping up. But just one final question. Um, obviously, you're in your off-season mode, and obviously we've got the the pandemic situation, which is throwing everything into a bit of a spin. But in the period between your last game of the season to the first game of the following season, what sort of things are you doing with your offensive linemen uh, to continue their development, um, whether that's strength conditioning, their learning? Uh, is there anything that you do with them? Yeah, so real simple. Um, we'll do hurdle, like I said, track hurdles, uh, bending, going over, going on top of them. Uh, we'll do a lot of jump rope. It's the for O linemen to me. That's the the best thing you can do in the off season is single leg, double leg, hop side to side. Um, you're constantly working your feet. You're working light feet, active feet. That for me is the best thing you can do. Um, we'll work our strike. You know, we'll work our punch drills, all that. But we'll also do boxing. You know, guys have fun with it. Um, I'm a big believer, again, you're working your feet, you're working your eyes, you're working hand strike. It might be different than all the, the stuff we teach, but guys don't grow up like uh, some of us did. You know, we see, you know, fights with our friends, our brothers, and <laughs> some of these guys have never thrown their hands before in their life. So you got to develop the hands. But those would be the three things, you know. The, other than our O-line drills, it would be the hurdle work, work on flexibility, we'll stretch each other. Um, We'll work all explosive movements in the weight room with our strength staff. You know, clean squats, deadlifts are the best things for you. 
um, and then jump rope and boxing, you know, those, and then from an, and then the mental side, we'll do a ton of film study, not just of ourselves, but we'll study a lot of other colleges. We'll study professional teams, you know, just getting guys educated on the mental side of football too. Coach, that's great. I really appreciate you taking the time. Just before we let you um, leave, feel free to share any social media handles in case any coaches that are listening want to reach out and uh, start a conversation with you. Yeah, so you guys can uh, follow me on Twitter. It's uh, at Coach Siasi. So it's uh, C-O-A-C-H Coach. And then Siasi is C-I-O-C-C-I. Brilliant. I really appreciate you taking the time, Coach. Uh, wish you all the best. Um, hope Brian have a successful season in 2020 and hopefully we'll get you over to the UK sometime soon. Definitely. Stay safe, Doug. Talk soon. Thank you again to Coach Yossi for sharing knowledge with us on O-Line Fundamentals. Tune in next time for another Bafka Coaching Podcast episode.